Welcome everyone. This is Doug Lafarge. Some of you know me by nature. This is Rajanika podcast number two. Today we're going to be talking about Rajanika sources or what we might call its content or its canon, the important materials that Rajanika draws into the conversation. And then from there, we're going to move on to the methodology with how we study it. And then finally finish up with what do we want to do with these studies? And so with that, I'd like to welcome Douglas. Thanks, Doug, for the invitation. I'm happy to be here to talk about Rajanika sources and the origins of the tradition, kind of carry forward from where we were last time. You know, the content of Rajanika is much like other traditions of India. That is, we, we have something like a canon that is a preferred list or a body of, of resources to which we refer and commonly refer. And Rajanika's canon begins in the vast and almost insurmountable amount of, of great mythology and storytelling that's at the heart of the Indian tradition. That mythology we find in written resources, and we also find it in Rajanika and oral lore. And in addition to the mythologies, there are certain kinds of other resources, images um, and art historical resources that are more than the written word or different than the written word. And there are practices, too, which also form an important part of the canon. Those would be things like puja and darshan, and I hope we get to talk about those in the future in much more detail. But to just begin to outline the Rajanika canon of written and oral sources, I think that's a, that's a solid beginning. You know, mythology in Indian tradition begins uh, in orality. It begins in spoken word, and it begins in listening. And those oral sources eventually turned into more comprehensive written or repeatable resources. Things like the hymns of the Rig Veda, and form the earliest part of the canon, and the songs and poetry of the Tamil Sangam poets. Those are lesser known resources, but they're close to contemporaneous with the songs and stories that came through the vast canon of the Rig Veda itself. So in the Rig Veda, we find 1,028 hymns, which form a basis for the storytelling tradition that goes back to those Vedic resources, these being the what we call the people of the sky, because those Vedic sources came from people who essentially drew their mythology from the gods of the sky, the gods and goddesses, the images and stories that they literally looked up into the sky to find. The Tamil sources, like the Sangam poets, these come from the native folk of deep South India, and they originate in the, in the earth. They are the songs and stories that come from that culture of spoken and compositional Tamil language folk. And those folk were, um, were giving us songs and stories themselves that originate in orality. And both Veda and Sangam, both these songs of the sky and songs of the earth 
they form an essential foundation for Rajanika thinking. And one of the reasons is that as these cultures met and assimilated and adapted and and ended in ended up in a great conversation, the people who spoke the Indic language of Vedic and then the Dravidian language of Tamil created a new kind of synthesis, a greater assimilation. And that forms the most ancient resource for Rajanika thinking. And our conversation is based very much in the interpretation and understanding of those myths and poems, that storytelling tradition. The content then evolves and, and, and grows with those traditions because that's where the stories of Shiva and Shakti and the, the great kind of amalgam of Hindu mythology that's our principal resource meets the, the living traditions and the anthropologies of, of the Tamil people in South India, where, where these stories end up creating a culture of conversation. And Rajanika begins in that culture of conversation because that's where Appa began in his own storytelling and learning tradition. Now that canon then grows uh, by matrices because these very early sources are then compounded and compiled and drawn together in all kinds of interesting ways, but they result in what we call the Puranas. The Puranas are the principal resource of Hindu mythology. They're called the ancient lore. When we go even back to very early references to the Puranas, we have references to this storytelling tradition of lore as early as the Upanishads. So as early as 1,000 or 800 before the Christian era, we find the reference to the Puranas mentioned um, explicitly in these sources as being authoritative, as being a place to go find the storytelling tradition itself. In the Upanishads, for example, say even in Chandogya Upanishad, that's a very early text, about 600 before the Christian era. It's a text written in prose, and it lists all of those resources for great learning, for what it means to become a person of, of, of seriousness, of inquiry, of, of asking about the world. And in those lists of things that, that the Upanishad says we need to know, it says itihasa purana. And that means, quite literally, the things that are said, Itihasa specifically refers to the, to the great Mahabharata and Ramayana, that is to epic literature and its compositional sources. And then Purana meaning these vast compilations of mythology. Those Puranas end up being systematized and collected. And the references here, like we see in the Upanishad, Doug, these are... These are well before we have written compositions. So we have references to these compositions of mythology as, as long as a thousand years before we have finalized texts. It's really remarkable how enduring and resilient the oral tradition has always been in India and how it carries forward today uh, into, the, in, into our own era you know, what we learn is not only what we read, but it's what we've heard and how carefully we learn to listen.
And so the Puranas then crystallize into written forms probably somewhere between the 4th and the 6th century of the Common Era. That's almost a thousand years after they've been referenced in earlier texts. And so there's been a long and storied oral tradition of composition that then results in this crystallization. The Puranas then kind of are organized canonically as 18 principal Puranas, and then there's a whole body of other material that surrounds them that are called things like Upa Puranas and other kinds of literature that surrounds this song, song singing, poetic storytelling tradition that provides, you know, the principal body of mythology. And Upa used to call myth the long way home. And what he meant was that like poetry, it's indirect thinking, it's symbolic and metaphoric, it takes us on the journey of allegory and invites interpretation and understanding in a way that, you know, philosophical material really is much more direct and, and, and works to create, you know, models of, of, of understanding that while of course, philosophy requires interpretation. Its principal purpose is to create direct speech in comparison to the allegorical indirect speech and symbolic referencing that the mythic world creates. And mythology has never really been given the same kind of attention from the philosophers that other traditions have. And so the philosophers have often passed off the mythology as being fairy tales or less important, less authoritative in some way than their own analytical and logical philosophical discourse. And so that's a really important difference because Rajanika does favor the poetic and the mythological as a principal resource. And the philosophers themselves create inflection. They create a foil and a way for us to think about important ideas. We're always happy to talk with the philosophers and about them. Um, but Rajanika is essentially interested more in a canonical sense in the resources themselves. And those sources like the Upanishadic storytelling or like the Puranic storytelling are directed inviting, directed towards a more allegorical practice of interpretation, rather than the more directive and logical analytical study that the philosophers give us. So that's an important part of our content. Like I said, there are other resources for us. The temple traditions, the living temple traditions, provide a theater of memory. They provide a visual and architectural reference for our interpretive and symbolic body of content for our canon. But the Rajanaka canon also looks to other sources far beyond India, much more inclusive study of poetry and literature and art history. Appa was keen on understanding things that went well beyond the Hindu resources of, of canon. He was interested in all of India's ancient lore, the Buddhists, the Jains, whoever had a good story to tell, whoever offered us an interesting image or an interesting idea, a poem or a song. He was interested in those things. 
And then I was always, I was always surprised at, at his curiosity and, and his erudition. He was interested in the Western canon. He was interested in all of the sources of, of mythology and storytelling in the comparative traditions. And he was keen on creating a greater comparative canon. You know, as a scholar, Appa was keenly aware of Vedic and Sanskrit language relationships to other ancient traditions that share the same linguistic roots, you know, the roots that take us back to what we call Indo-European language studies and comparative Indo-European mythologies. And that will take us to things like the Greeks and the Romans. That will take us to the Norse and the Germanic and the Saxon peoples. That'll take us into Serbo-Croatian storytelling and to the Irish and the Celtic traditions. It'll take us across that whole vast array of linguistic sources that share a common heart in Indo-European traditions, because that's what Vedic lore did. And then in the Tamil traditions, in the Dravidian worlds, Appa had a kind of remarkable reach, especially into the storytelling traditions that came through women and through the heroine traditions, because, you know, Appa was very much the child of his mother. His father passed when he was only nine months old, and Patti, my my grandmother, Appa's mother, was just an enormous ocean of wisdom and of storytelling herself, and she was keen on passing that along. And Appa was wise and smart enough, even as a kid, to to ask his mother about the storytelling tradition of women and and women's lore. And women are the great purveyors of, of oral tradition in an entirely different framework than the way orality informs traditions that are principally passed along by men and in the conversations between men and women. So it's a vast body and a comparative body. You know, again, I was always enthusiastic and, 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 and overwhelmed by how curious Appa could be, how he was interested in the great kind of Western canon too, you know, literature that takes us from Milton and Spencer through Shakespeare and, and then through other kinds of amazing writers. I mean, I remember Appa talking about Jane Austen and about George Eliot and about women writers in the Western canon. I mean, he was really interested in all great storytelling because that's how we peer into the soul. That's how we pry open our access to the unconscious, to the human issues that inform our lives and create these vast sort of resources. So the canon is, a, is an open canon rather than a closed canon. We're not only interested in certain kinds of Hindu mythology or philosophical schools of thought, you know, we can, we can list those and talk about those another time in more detail. But Appa created an open canon that invited comparison. It invited reflection. It invited us to try to draw out a deeper humanism that we would see in culture and in context, but also towards a greater comparative and perennial sensibility. Like what applies to all of us? How do we make this relevant for our lives? 
And then what do we do with that canon? You know, um, you mentioned at the beginning a methodology or, or a way of study. This also uh, draws upon Indian traditions and it draws upon uh, Western logical traditions and also critical studies that are quite contemporary. I mean, Rajanaka is much more a method, a way of thinking, than it ever is what to think. You'll probably register with that. You know, you'll recognize that idea as pretty familiar in your own life. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm never really here trying to tell people what to think. I'm looking at sources that we can study together, and then we are learning together how to think. And how to think is very much part of the Rajanaka method. I'm always fond of saying that our critical method really takes us uh, to to three strategies. Uh, and this is part and parcel of what we mean when we say when we say this is a Rajanaka teaching, or what we mean when we use the word Rajanaka itself. We mean how we study, and in that sense, it's it's quite different than any ordinary or or typical religious tradition, because there the canon is generally fixed, and the method is to inculcate. The method is to create some kind of catechism, some sort of response that would be, as it were, the correct answer or the ordinary way we would answer those to those questions or, or involve those sources. And Rajanika doesn't do that. Rajanika is much more a, a critical and contemporary method. And so, I've, like I've always said, there are three ways we go about that. And the first is to ask every question, to ask any question especially the kinds of questions that don't get asked or would be uncomfortable or would be uh, controversial without trying to be you know, impudent or, or obnoxious. We really mean, <laughs> can you ask every question? Um, can you say to the Pope on Easter, hey man, you know, tell me about this resurrection thing because it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Or, or can you say to the Dalai Lama of Tibet, what do you mean you're the 14th Dalai Lama of Tibet? I mean, you're talking about death and rebirth. What are you talking about? And, and so those questions can seem heretical, or they can seem to push the envelope of possibilities. And that's important to us. It's important to us that we feel empowered and free and, and given the chance to ask what's really on our minds and to really question our own, our own values and question our own beliefs so that we can hold them up to a deeper study. Well, that takes us, that's all point one. And what point two here is to take us to, to, well, then what do we do when we ask those questions? Well, we have to follow the evidence. We have to create a new kind of curiosity that, that takes us further and further into the resources. And as we follow the evidence, then we create our own understandings or we create a deeper relationship to our study and the evidence is going to change our minds. You know, the evidence is going to lead us to new ideas and different conclusions. It's going to make us wonder about the things we really think. I think that's an important idea because we can follow the evidence wherever it takes us. And it can be perilous, you know, because we're usually not congratulated for changing our minds or for growing or from learning from our mistakes 
or for saying, you know, I once thought that then and and now I have new facts or I have a, a better understanding of the material or what I'm what I'm up against here and I can take the conversation further. We're not often congratulated for changing our minds or for growing. And and yet and that growth is a difficult thing to admit. It's a difficult thing to receive, especially as adults, because we we treasure our hard-won lessons in life and the way we've developed our opinions. So we want to ask every question, and then we want to follow the evidence wherever it takes us. And then there's that critical Rajanika strategy that comes in the word, you know, uh, the word itself. Rajanika means to, in, in, to bring some humility and some care and some openness to mm-hmm. our own sense of responsibility to our own sovereignty you know to be to be humble in reaching into our our sovereign responsibility to care for ourselves to care for the world to care for each other and allow that humility to to open to another possibility and so our third strategy you've heard me talk about this a thousand times is the black swan that is yep. if i said to you you know if I said to you all swans are white, how many black swans would it take for all swans not to be white? Just one. Exactly. Just one. Just the one. And so as soon as we leave open the possibility that there's more, that we could that be in error, more, right? that we could change our minds. Um, in Rajanika, we're trying always, uh, always to leave that possibility open and yet at the same time be resilient and careful with the facts, I mean, to try to admit that things do stand up to our scrutiny, that as we experiment and test ideas, we are better off for understanding how things, you know, stay true, as it were, how they, how they withstand the test of time, how we bring our very best critical insights and and continue the experiment. I think that's an important part of understanding the Rajanika method. Because if we're willing to ask the difficult questions, even the ones that upset us, and if we're willing to follow the evidence where it goes, and if we continue to have a certain humility about about what we think we know and about what we're capable of doing because we embrace our human limitations and use those human limitations as a way to to take seriously human achievement and human failure, um, then we stay open to greater possibilities. And that's the heart of the Rajanika idea that that well, what do we want from this? You know, that was the third thing you asked about. You know, we covered a little bit of of canon. You know, like what are our resources? Like what's on our list? You know, that's what that right. what's that what does that really mean? Like where do we where do we spend most of our time? Um, what do we study? How do we bring content into the conversation? And then, and then what do we do with that? Well, we study it in this, this method of trying to draw together real questions. And instead of looking for answers, we're almost invariably looking for more interesting questions because those answers have to stay open. They have to... They have to stay the possibility that there's more. Exactly. And that we've got words for that. We can talk about that later that we call that yeah, yeah. Shiva. We call that Shri, that possibility for more 
is, you know, it has to come with a certain kind of confidence and clarity because we take facts seriously. We take learning seriously. We, we look, we look to rely upon each other for our gifts and our expertise. Um, you know, if I want to learn about rock climbing, I'm going to come to my friend nature because I'm not going to pretend I know how to do that. And we take seriously how each of us has something to offer to the greater community because we're not vesting authority in any one person. Um, we're responsible for ourselves and the community I think keeps us accountable. It keeps us in a serious conversation about what we know and what we don't and how we go about it. But what, you know, we can ask, you know, what are our outcomes? You know, like, what do we expect from this? What's Rajonica's goals as it were? Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, Rajonica invests in a deeper sense of learning about ourselves, about our humanity, about the natural world, about culture and history, about human accomplishments and how to learn. Those are all things we've already talked about. But I think part of the outcome is, is captured in a really wonderful word in Sanskrit. The word is ashwada, ashwada. Yeah. And it means to savor. It means to relish. And that takes a, a certain kind of sensibility to say that, that what we're after is the flavors of life, you know, some kind mm -hmm. of, some kind of taste that we acquire for ourselves. Like there's some yuck and some yum in that flavor. And we get a, a deeper response to both. That is, we're not just looking for the savory in the sense of, well, that's just delicious or tasty or we like that. We're looking how to savor the whole possibility of being human, the things that we relish and the things that disgust us. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, the things that we, we may not like, you have to learn to savor those as well. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and how, to, how to take the entirety of our human experience um, and begin uh, with a principle of what Appa used to call radical affirmation. That's a Rajanika mm, outcome. Yeah. That what we want to do is, is say yes to the entirety of our human experience and then learn how more deeply to savor it and also to become more astute, more aware. There's another lovely Sanskrit term there that, that we can we can introduce here maybe it's called the, the term is vichara it's it's spelled v-i-c-a-r-a -A. and vichara means literally to go in a way that puts things in perspective that can take things apart you know sometimes the word vichara in philosophical discourse is translated rather coolly you know it's got its its vulcan quality it's translated something like analysis or looking into things and, mm. But what it really means is a kind of awareness, a kind of perspicacity, you know, a desire to kind of try to really be acutely aware, astute, you know, like hip to what's going on. But not only in an analytical or philosophical sense, but in an emotional sense. Like how do we raise our emotional sensibilities? How do we 
become more receptive and more attentive? How do we listen more carefully and try to understand our context, our circumstance, how history has has formulated and shaped the world where the conversation is happening? You know, Rajanika's goal is to be in a good conversation. And what makes it good is that we learn together how to hear one another and how to be more receptive to other people's experiences. And then perhaps how we can offer our experiences to others. You know, not, not everyone is so keen on words. Some people, some people make art in another way, but to live a life of artistry is, I think, a deep Rajanika outcome, a goal. And what we mean by that is, is living a life where what you have to offer as a person, you know, what your gifts are, become an offering to others, a gift to others. And we also kind of learn how to live with ourselves. And learning how to live with yourself, how to just live with the trials and tribulations, the, the light and the shadow, the successes and failures, the praise and the blame, the things that are all inclusive to our human experience over the course of a life, living with ourselves and being able to to stand ourselves and then and then <laughs> flourish and then thrive and then keep asking for more. You know, we want to do more than survive. We want to thrive and then we want to ask for more. And asking for more means um, means extending that reach and and inviting others into the conversation. And that's what the community has always offered to me. Sure, yeah. It's always been a place yeah. where people who have had all kinds of experiences in life um, have brought those experiences into a conversation with me. I've learned so much from everyone because, I, because I, in my own personal story, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time studying the Rajanika canon, you know, trying to become adept enough in this vast ocean of mythology and storytelling and philosophy that's both the Indian canon and the Western canon, just trying to learn all of that and, and learning how to learn that vast ocean of material. And, you know, also because I disappeared into India and I work in that, in the, the cozy confines of academia I have a lot of privilege to, to do that study, but I need to get out a little. And that's what the Rajanika community does. It brings me into the real world with, with, with adults who have had all kinds of experiences and have all kinds of gifts and expertise. And I'm curious about that. I want to learn from everyone. Sure. Well, if you want to go rock climbing, I'll take you. Oh, that'd um, be really great. I have <laughs> yeah. I have been in the passenger seat with you uh, with you piloting me over the skies of Boulder. That was both wonderful and 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 harrowing. Um, oh, we just we'll just stick with that. The rock climbing thing is uh, maybe a past life for <laughs> for <laughs> well, me. Yeah, I don't I don't think you're going to find me scaling El Capitan with you, Doug. But I do think, mm. but I do admire that you do it, and I I do want to hear about it, and I want to learn from it. I think that's part of the what we mean by a Rajonic outcome that we sure we become yeah. greater it's, for the company we keep. Mm-hmm. And we're curious to keep good company. 
Well, that's been uh, a good overview. I, if I may, I'm just kind of curious about a couple odd questions or random questions, just kind of backing up. Um, you know, we talk about the Rajanaka sources. Many of these sources were pre-Rajanaka, right? Oh, yes. The Rajanaka is, is, again, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a greater tradition of interpretation um, that, that kind of uses many of the same resources that other traditions do. I mean, Rajanaka, right, right. Rajanaka yep. goes through the great canon of, of Shiva and Shakti mythologies. It looks at the vast array of Hindu mythologies and Buddhist storytelling and other storytelling traditions. It's, we share content with lots and lots of, of very diverse traditions that don't share our interpretation or don't share our worldview or don't expect from that content what we are what we're what we discover. People are going to read, I'm gonna give you a real simple example, but you know, sure. people are going to read the Bhagavad Gita, and to us that's a very important and interesting story. It's an interesting resource in all kinds of ways. Our Rajanaka mm-hmm. interpretation is is vastly different um, from others in important ways. We can talk about that another time. But this is a this is a, a part of a much greater canon that other people tap into. And so Rajanaka's canon is filled with a common body of study. Um, you know, anyone who opens Hamlet and and is and is reading and appreciating and studying Shakespeare is someone I'm interested in, but we don't presume that we have the same objectives or the same reasons for study or the same interpretations, because that's part of how how people come to their own sensibilities, to their own identity, to their own self-understanding. And so those methodologies take us each to our own conclusions. And that too is a kind of a Rajanaka idea that how you decide to appreciate what we study together and how you decide to be in the conversation and, and what you get from it, that's up to you. Uh, that's not for me or yeah. that there's no conformity, you know, there's no catechism. There's, there's no thing we're all supposed to get here. It's, it's that we love to study together, that we love a conversation that involves an open canon and a critical method and that we, we savor a deeper humanism, a way that we can appreciate ourselves and appreciate the natural world try to appreciate history and culture and offer some honest criticism, offer some, some values that allow us to, to take ourselves to a deeper place inside ourselves. You know, Uppa was very much a, an advocate of that notion that character is destiny. That's an overused meme these days, but it's, it's an important idea. Like as we evolve our character, that's going to be who we, who we are. It's going to be who we want to be. It's going to inform what we aspire to become. You know, who are we? Who can we be? Who could we be? Those are real hmm. questions that I think are compelling and, and involve curiosity and, and, and critical thinking and, 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 a wel- and a welcoming sense that we all struggle and we are all we are all part of that conversation because the strife we feel and the successes and failures we feel in that kind of a conversation are real for all of us. To be able to share that conversation, that's a Rajanaka goal. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's the 
you know, what do we want from this question? At least me, for me personally, that I look forward to continuing this conversation with you and, and kind of diving deeper into um, with that idea that we're all going to take something away from it that's going to be different than somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're kind of going to wrap up here in a little bit, but I, it does get me to reflect back on my years of, you know, studying with you and just seeing the sort of evolution of my own self and asking different questions at different times. Well, that's a wonderful feature. Still get back to that. Yeah, wonderful feature of where we've been. You know, yeah. we're, we're coming up yeah. on 20 years of this conversation. Some people are brand new to it, and welcome to you all. Uh, we're, we're keen on making anyone who wants to enter the conversation feel welcome. Um, because we're there's always, always the, an entry point. Yeah, there's an entry yeah. point because we're always in the middle of things. Right. There's a good Rajonic idea that we can explore later. But we're all, we're all always in the middle of things. We all have big lives and have had our own experiences and our own lives and that, that, that we can share with each other and, and anyone can jump in at any time. You know, the, the people who are more experienced with the sources or more experienced with the method or the conversation, we're just more familiar with the conversation. Um, those folks have always astounded me both for their continuing curiosity, but also for just how welcoming people have mm-hmm. become. Um, when we have Rajanica summer camp, when people gather here in Western New York, or we go to a seminar and there are new people in the room, it's just always really wonderful to me how people like you and others who have been around for many years just enjoying the conversation and learning together, how, how well we've learned how to treat each other, that that becoming more receptive and more creative and generative in a conversation, letting people in and, and bringing their gifts and their conversations, their unfamiliarity is always a treasure. You know, their newness is always something that's really wonderful because they're going to ask real questions and they're going to ask basic questions. And we, that allows us always to have beginner's mind. And they're going to ask new questions. Somebody's always going to bring something new to the table. Yeah. And that newness and our own beginner's mind, you know, welcoming, well, not becoming too familiar with the things we're familiar with, not assuming that our conversation is so well understood that we lapse into a kind of jargon. We lapse into a a kind of insular conversation. We don't want to do that. We want to be, we want to be in beginner's mind so that things stay fresh and people's new conversations, generationally different conversations. That's also happening now. There are folks in Rajanica who, who 10 years ago weren't, you know, weren't even adults who are we kidding? 20 years ago, they weren't, they weren't. So, yeah. and that's really great. They bring a different, a different voice, a different generational understanding. Um, they have different kinds of questions. They bring in newness. And I really welcome that. And on, for our part, for those of us who've been in the conversation a long time, I very much, you know, uh, very much am a, a student of that Zen understanding of beginner's mind. Because a beginner's mind always lets us reframe and reconsider the familiar and make the familiar unfamiliar so that we can welcome it again, so that we can see things new. That's a, that's a Rajanika strategy. That's a Rajanika goal. 
And it's kind of the ask any question. It's it's this idea that as a Rajanika has evolved, there's always going to be new questions because we're always going to have something new added, whether it's new science that we learned just yesterday mm. or new literature that has been you know released or published or new poetry or art or whatever but and just the evolution of the conversation i mean i i say yeah, this and, i say this in seminars all the time you know like i never thought we would be this far into the storytelling and i promise you there's there's so much more storytelling there are literally thousands of of stories of the goddess in the canon and the Shiva mythologies and the Nataraja stories. I mean, just in the very basic Rajanika, there's so much more we have yet to study together. And I have so many dreams of how much more we can, we can create together. I'm just amazed and grateful that the community has appeared and, and that people keep showing up. It's been, it's been great for all of us and welcoming mm -hmm. new people and a new generation right. of those who are curious. And that I think there's this like, sort of an acceleration happening for you right now. Um, you know, the, the teachings, like we, as we discussed in the last episode, where you started 20 years ago, never thinking anybody would ask the questions. Now some of that material is out there. It does feel to me like the more material that's out there, the more, the deeper and richer the next conversation is. And it's kind of accelerating through. And I can only imagine how many uh, notebooks you have piled up that haven't been cracked and then put into story and into the, in the conversation. So, well, there was more than you know. 20 years before we started. Um, right. That we, right. we talked about that last time. Yeah. yeah. No, there's so much more ahead of us. And I, I think uh -huh. you're right. I, I confess, I feel a deeper urgency and a revivification. You know, we have the new translation of the Bhagavad Gita out. We've reprinted poised for grace and I'm hoping known to have a significant body of material and publication coming forward in the next year, you know, at least to try to get two important works out every year and let this enormous oral canon of, of seminars and storytelling that we've created over these years also become part of the canon. That's a, an important part. I only just recently began to understand that the way I learned Rajanaka and what Rajanaka is, is actually what we have before us. We have chronicled thousands of hours of recorded seminar. And mm -hmm. <laughs> that's part of our canon. I mean, it's not just me talking. It's that you know, much of that won't reach print or written form. It's going to stay listenable. And so creating a canon of orality and a written canon that is just adding more to what we've studied together and telling more of the stories that haven't been told that's what i'm so eager to do that's what i'm so very much looking forward to do especially the oral traditions that i learned from appa and from his community and from his mother and from the women of the family i want that to come forward because we're never going to read about that in the written canon that just doesn't exist right, right. Um, and I think there's trust and confidence in the community now that we want to learn those things. And, and I do feel inspired and grateful both for this, these new initiatives. The, uh, you've had an important part in putting the podcasts and the website together. And I look forward to just letting everyone in uh, and, and, and making more offerings and 
having the community feel like they're a part of this conversation, that their contributions really do matter to me. You know, links on the Rajonica website to others. If, if they can stand the association with me, then I'm happy to bring that, you know, to bring their work into the conversation. This really, I really want this to belong to far more than, than, than myself, even though I, I never imagined it would be. I'm grateful that it is. Right. Well, yeah, and we've we've talked about a couple other projects, and maybe I'll talk about that here just for a second. Is you know, I know the uh, the Gita translation was really kind of critical. It gave you a uh, kind of a framework for the the next books, whatever they might be. And then the website really gets us into the next generation of being able to offer information, but bring in the community. And what I really want to say is um, one of the you know, the projects that you and I talked about doing was because you are moving forward. Your your mission is to continue to tell the new stories, but the idea of cataloging previous stories and starting to piece that all together so that it can become a resource for others to sort of try to figure out where particular stories that they might be interested in are. So I do want to just get that out there that that's another project that's going to be kind of slow moving, but we'll get there. And I've contacted a few folks. They know who they are. Um, but I want to invite more. You well, know, the hundreds just, of hours uh, of recordings that we have are kind of a leviathan. You know, like, it's a little daunting. It's a little daunting <laughs> for all of us. And because yes. I, I can't tell you what's on those recordings. Um, I don't – I'm just I'm, – I'm usually in some or another state of possession and just going as fast as I can and to try to get as much across as I can and address particular audiences and try to keep it alive, try to keep the sense that we're in a room together that I'm not just kind of lecturing to folks. Right. Yeah. But there is an awful lot of material that we can compile and put together in more meaningful ways. And I'm looking right. forward to that. And, and I'm grateful for the work that people want to do and, and how we'll, we'll begin to do that together is really an interesting, an interesting project. The contributions people have and their own curiosities are amazing. You know, there are people in the Rajanica community who have just, stacks of their own notebooks and i'm as curious about those as i am anything in the world because i think sure you know people have had so much they've learned so much and this is a tradition that that's that that always emphasizes it that it's it's not what it's not what one says it's not what i say it's what you hear and how you receive it and how you translate it and put it into your own life that i'm very curious about and i'm and i honor that and and understand that to be, you know, Rajanika isn't what I say. It's it's what the community has heard and how it's assimilated its own lessons for every individual mm-hmm. and taken some and leave some aside. You know, whatever whatever really whatever touches your heart or works for you, that's what's important to me. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to a lot of us. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up here and. Again, encouraging everybody to, if you have ideas, feedback, these podcasts uh, are going to be on the Rajonica website. We will get them over to Apple, the music store, so that you can stream them when you're in your car or whatever and be able to look them up that way. But leave us some comments. Let us know what can change or be better or what you're interested in. We've got a lot of direction, I think, just with these last two episodes and where we're going in the short term. But these are going to be ongoing. And 
Again, I did point out in the first podcast, and I'll do it again here, uh, I am the guest host because we're going to be switching that up a little bit as we change the, I guess, the contents or, or whatever we're going to be talking about. Well, so, I look forward to talking um, to lots of folks. And I'm yeah, really grateful yeah, you're I, here, Doug. That's really um, – but and I welcome how open you are to have what we might call guest hosts or other people. Um, I'm happy to be queried, interviewed, poked at. Whatever you want to do with me is is really swell. I just want to be – very clear and very grateful to folks that we are in, we are trying to create something together here. That's a value that's useful to you that you might want to listen to. So I hope this, hope this works for everyone. Thanks so much for this conversation. I was happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks G. Thanks G. We'll uh, continue it next time. All right. Well, for now. Yeah. See you soon. All right. For now. Take care. All right. Take care.